Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, welcome back, everybody. It's hour number two of Sports Daily. We're, we're talking during the break about this playoff. It's got our juices flowing. Give us a call, 869-1240. Uh, let us know. Like, what's your perfect scenario? Because we, so, so here's where this came from. We know it's going to 12. We get the great news that it's 5 and 7. It's great news for our teams around here. But now there's discussions because that only goes for the next two years. What comes next? And they're already toying around with some of the ideas of, you know, what you do and how you do it. So, you know, 16's always stood out to me as, like, this great number because it's it's an even number. You have a 16-team bracket. But I do think Tommy brought up a buy, uh, the potential for buys. And at 12 teams, you could have the four, you know, power conference champions get a buy. And I think that's pretty smart to do that. I don't—that's not quite that simple, I don't think, this year and how that will work. But I think in the future you could do that and just— directly tie those buys to those conference championship game winners. The reason that I'm starting to fall in love with this idea is because it adds incentive to the conference championship games, which I do think are an important part of college football. And so now Tommy did the math and you got to get to like 20 to make it work or, or more to be able to have four buys and then those teams go on to an even number to play out through. That seems, look, if they went to 20, it's not going to hurt my feelings. You will not hear me complain about it. I'd be fine with it. I do think it's not quite necessary, though, to get that big, um, especially in college football. So how do you do it then? And Jad, you brought up a good point about 16. So what, what was your point on 16? Well, it's just a nice even number for a tournament. I mean, yeah. it, it works out bracket-wise with no buys. It's just perfect. And that may be where they land. but it, And so the reason that, my, that Tommy's got me thinking about this now with the buy thing, the, the problem I would have there, and I think this would become a problem. So imagine in a 16-team playoff, uh, it's a year where you have, let's say, uh, you know, uh, and I, I can't remember how the how it lines up, but basically you have two SEC teams playing in their conference championship game that are, you know, shoe in, no doubt about it, right? And it's not even a situation where, like, a hosting a game is on the line. Like, let's say they're number one and number two, which is possible, right? Or number one and number three in the CFP. Well, winning your conference championship game at that point doesn't mean a whole lot. I mean, seeding matters to some degree based on home field. And I don't know, Do we We probably don't know this yet, but how many like home games these teams will get to have on the way to whatever it ends up being. So that's an important part of it too. If you've got home field tied to it, then you do have some incentive. And maybe that's as simple. But if you don't have anything tied to it, there's that game gets watered down a little bit because both of those teams are in anyway. 
And so if you if you incentivize it with a buy, you better believe there that's that's important, right? Home field might be the way to solve that. And maybe you just play them as home games. I mean, that's that's what they do at the lower levels. They play home games. And then at a certain point, you go to neutral site. Maybe when you get to four, you go to neutral site. But for the two games prior to that, they're home games. Maybe then that's enough incentive to win that conference championship game. But otherwise, you do have that situation where you've watered those down. And there's always been talk about that, right? These getting watered down anyway, and are they even necessary? Are, are they even accurate as these leagues become so big? I think that they are. I think they're even more important now as you don't have round-robin scheduling, as you don't have leagues playing everybody in the league. I think the conference championship games become even more important. I just want to make sure that those are an important piece still to the formula we have to get to the national champion. And that's where buys make a lot of sense. Maybe home field solves it. I don't know, but it, you can't. it would be a year-to-year thing with home field, whereas if you had a guaranteed buy by winning that game, it's, it's locked in. Okay, so I'm going to try to paint a picture here and see if this would work. You go to 14 teams, okay, and the top four teams, seeds one through four, get a bye, and you have the big college football playoff reveal with those top four teams where you know that they're, they get a bye, they don't have to play in the first round. But then the bottom two seeds, so that'd be 13 and 14, have to play a play-in game. They play one game to move on to the next round. Then at that point, you've got an extra round with just two teams, and then they move on, and then you've got the bye with the opening round, and then everything moves on from there, and you go 4-4, four, 2-1 four, and one to get a national champion. That could potentially work, or maybe that'd have to be 16 teams. I don't really know, but you could do that where you've got the top four teams getting a bye, but then you've got the bottom seeds that have to do a play-in. And then really, ultimately, it's not even just one bye week for the top four teams. It ends up being two bye weeks for the top four seeds, and that could be something that, you know, if you are... I don't know, Michigan, for example, you could probably, you know, I think that they'd probably be on board with getting a couple of weeks off as the top seed potentially, you know, to be able to get that time to rest and get ready for the race to a championship. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I, I think that it's, look, I, I love that these conversations are happening now for college football like they've been happening for all the other sports for a really long time. Right, like all I want for college football is to see it grow and be successful. And some of the things that you know historically have pushed me more to the pro game, like uh, exist for the college game too. And the the very first thing for me is is most fairly finding your national champion. That's always been at the at the heart of it for me. I hate that Cinderellas never have a seat at the table. Like why? Why would we starve ourselves of that amazing possibility of Boise State beating Oklahoma being some sort of playoff game to advance Boise State? Like getting that every year, that at least that opportunity is incredible. Look at what the bowl games have become. Nobody plays in them. Nobody cares about them. Like we're, we're, we're starving ourselves of a legitimate postseason in college football. Right. It's almost it's so exclusive and always has been. It just turns off too much of the country. So I love that we're just able to now look at these things. It's like, you know, it's like the kid and the cookie jars open right in front of you, like the possibilities for all of this are endless to grow this amazing sport that has always been 
regionally important to become nationally important, I think this helps all that, which in turn helps the schools, which in turn helps the players and the schools be able to, you know, whatever it looks like, compensate, like all the challenges that exist right now. A successful playoff model should help all of those things. And and it's going to be messy and it's going to all those things, but at least it's there. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, Tommy. Well, it still happens, right? At least it's four and not two. Where a group of people sat around and were like, yeah, you know what? I think these are the best two teams. Let's let them play. And before that, they didn't even have that. They were like, oh, we think this is, all right, season's over. We think that guy's national champion. Good, good job, everybody. Like, that's what we've been doing. It's yeah, ridiculous. I think that, so again, if, if we talked about this before, you relate it back to March Madness to an extent, because think about, all the conversations that are happening right now and will continue for the next month, little, little less than a month from now, it's about bubble teams. Joe Lenardi has made an entire career based off of bubble teams, and it becomes this huge conversation for weeks at a time. Who's on the bubble? Who's the last four in? Who's the first four out? It's not going to be to that level with this for a playoff in college football, but... The conversation will be about, okay, who's going to be number 14, number 13, as opposed to 15 or 16 and find themselves on the wrong side of it. And regardless of that, I think we know that those teams that are battling for a spot at the very bottom are probably not going to win a national championship in the same way that in March Madness, we know that, you know, these bubble teams, unless they just absolutely catch fire are also probably not going to win a national championship, but we still have the conversation. What we've been having are conversations about teams that are on the outside looking in and they're number five or number six and could absolutely compete for a national championship. And they're, they're left on the outside, not able to compete for it. So I think that just by making this change, you're able to improve conversations around that narrative and you're able to, you know, really make the, the sport that much more exciting in a time when really like that, that's kind of been taken away from us for so many different years. It's just so frustrating. Tommy, why would, let's just look at it this way. March Madness, I think, I believe, is the second most valuable sports property on the planet. Well, at least in America. I don't know about on the planet. You know, not excluding like World Cup and Olympics and all that stuff. March Madness is the second most valuable sports asset in America, right? Do you agree with that? Behind the, yeah, you know, behind the Super Bowl. Yep. So you've got the Super Bowl and slash, you know, NFL stuff, and then you've got March Madness. Why would that be? when college basketball is not the second most valuable sport in America. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So, so you take this product that is not the second most popular thing that happens in American sports, yet it creates the second most valuable sports thing that we have in this country, which is March Madness. It happens because that tournament... And that, like, Tommy, I would guess, and I'll I'll bet you I understate this. I'll bet you I understate this. I would be willing to bet that 60% of the people that watch and consume March Madness do not watch one second of regular season college basketball. I would agree with that. And I think I might be underselling that yeah. number. 
I think it's probably more than that. I, I do too. But we'll, let's call it 60% because I don't have that research, and, and I'm pretty confident that it's at least that number. Yet they tune in and can, like, like go nuts for it, like are crazy for it, right? We could achieve that to some degree. Same thing with college football if it's now you can't play games you can't like they don't go back to back and you don't do all that and and Rick just brought up a good point with it that a part of the reason we love March Madness right is because of the Cinderella story but I don't think that's the biggest reason I think the biggest reason is the bracket number 1 filling those out having fun it 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 it, it is a social event it is a pop culture event in this country March Madness is and yes, the Cinderellas add to it. And yes, it is far less likely to see Cinderella type upsets in a college football playoff. But we're not talking about, you know, the 64th team beating the first team like we have seen a couple of times now in college basketball. We're talking about the 16th best team beating potentially, you know, the first best team. So you got to think about it that way, right? Like you're still talking about really, really good college football teams when you get there. Or in some situations, teams that had some sort of adversity early in the year, by the way, that came on real hot late and got in, those are dangerous teams to a one seed. So it's not like you're going to have the little sisters of the poor playing, you know, Alabama in a college football playoff. That's not going right. to happen. They will have been the, you know, they will have been essentially, if you took it to the college basketball tournament, it's like a four seed beating a one, not a, not a 16, it'd be because you've got, you know, all the individual brackets in, in the bigger bracket, but we have missed on that so badly. It's same, it's it, to a far, far, far lesser degree. Look at the college world series. You know, if you're talking about that, now you're talking about, you know, 90 to 95% of the country, probably not watching a second of college baseball, but a far greater number tunes in to the College World Series because it's more of an event, right? It's more of a water cooler type thing. We could take then with college football something that probably, you know, 40 to 50% of the country does care about or more, perhaps, and then add that same sort of flavor. I, I think that there is a world where that product could even surpass college basketballs. Maybe it doesn't, but it could probably come close, and it would come a whole lot closer than what it currently sits as. So that's why this is all exciting. It's going to amplify this sport that people like us already love, but it's going to amplify it hopefully in a way that draws more people into it and create. And that's what everybody wants. That that literally benefits everybody. Benefits the fans. Benefits the schools, benefits the conferences, benefits the players uh, as we make our way through how that compensation is going to happen to some, you know, to some level at some level. So I love it. And I love that the discussion's happening and it's only taken, you know, my whole life to get to this point, which is, again, just fascinating to me that that's the case. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. We got Tyler on the line, wants to chat uh, the CFP. Tyler, welcome into Sports Daily. What's on your mind? Thank you. Uh, I, I agree with you. I would go with a larger style bracket for college football. My suggestion is I personally like the idea of you take 20 teams, but it's actually a 16-team uh, bracket, and you have essentially four play-in games. So you end up having your, your 13 seed plays your 20 seed and so on until you get to the all four of those games. 
And I think that the setup for that is beneficial because you have your lower-ranked teams. Hopefully those are going to be more competitive games. You get your, your top four teams overall, get their buys uh, for the first week. And then, you know, then you're going to have, however it filters out from there, you're going to have your new overall ranking will play, you know, whoever the 16 seed becomes will now play the number one seed and so on. And so hopefully the whole goal is that you want competitive games and versus if you have, you know, you start taking too many teams and now you got a one right off the bat paying a, a 16 or a 20 and it's going to be probably pretty ugly. So to me, I think that that benefits one, you get more games, which sounds like more money and a better experience for the fans. So you basically are keeping the top four seeds out until the lower seed tournament is, is done. Is, so it's kind of a, like multiple weeks of a buy for those top four teams. No, it's only one week of a buy because okay. you have, so if you have 13 playing 20, 14 playing 19, uh, 15 playing 18 and then 16, and 17 play each other. So once you go through that whole scenario, each of those teams play their game the very first week. Okay. Whoever wins filters into the 16 spot, 15 spot, 14 spot, 13 spot. Gotcha. So one, one through 12 don't. I guess technically you could have uh, one through 12 kind of gets a buy in that sense, um, but really you get a plan to get to the 16 because a 16 game uh, bracket is just, it's the perfect bracket, um, in, at least in my personal opinion. And then you get it to where now everyone plays through it. I think it'll be more competitive and you get a little more of that Cinderella story potentially. Anything that brings a Cinderella, Tyler, I'm on board with it. Like I, I, I think it, you know, and it's, again, it's not, it's less likely than in any other sport probably uh, to see uh, the Cinderella, but the possibility is always there. And, and, and people don't act like we've never seen Cinderella bowl games before when people actually cared about the bowl games. We saw Cinderella's, you know, once every couple years, probably, maybe not quite that much, but it, it happens. I mean, it does. And again, the talent disparity in college football is getting better through the transfer portal. It just, it will. Like, it, it, you know, there aren't, there haven't been a lot of years where you could go into a season and if we're being honest, realistically say like, yeah, my team has a chance at a national championship. K-State and KU can feel that way next year. Right? Like, you know, is it likely? No. Is it likely to reach the CFP? It's not not bad odds. And then you have to think, okay, well, if those two teams are healthy and at their best, could they, in a one-game scenario, take down team X, Y, or Z? Sure they could. Sure they could. I mean, we're, we see it all the time. TCU reached a national championship game based on players they didn't have on the roster the year before. I mean, there was a transfer portal team that reached that far into the season. So, it's always possible, and I know they got smashed in the – you don't need to tell me they got smashed in the national – I know they got smashed, but they won the game before that against Michigan, right? So it's possible. And you know what? Here's the other thing, Tyler, Tommy. If some team gets through and gets smashed in the national championship game, that's been happening anyway. So who cares? We are, that's where we are now. So what difference does it make? We had great games leading up to that point. So what if the team, you know, if there's a team that just steamrolls everybody? But the reality is, with an expanded playoff, if there's incentives tied to reaching that playoff for the players, more players are going to go places and try to achieve that success. 
they're not going to want to do it sitting the bench somewhere. They're going to be a part of it somewhere else, and the likelihood that they'll do it goes up too. Well, and to your point too that I, I just want to mention, you know, so Super Bowls, we've had blowouts in those two over the years. The Chiefs got blown out three years ago against the Bucks. It happens from time to time, you know, but there's never a conversation when that happens about, oh, we got to, you know, got to blow up the way that we get to this. You know, Seattle beat Denver in 2014 by 35 points. And, you know, nobody was like, okay, well, we got to change the way that we, you know, do the playoff system and the seedings and all of that. These things happen. Uh, but for some reason in college football, there's always this, you know, conversation and narrative about, oh, we're, you know, we got to avoid the blowouts. That's not good for the sport. And I just don't get that. Last word there, Tyler. Oh, I'm right here. I was going to make uh, just one last comment. The, okay. the more games that you guys have or the more games that are out there, then you'll have, in my personal opinion, you'll have fewer players that will sit out those games if they're competing for a national championship. So we as the fans get better products on the field. I think it's just a win-win all the way around. Yeah, well, it is. And and the other thing is to compensation to it. I mean, they're going to have to – that that part is coming too. We're not going to have the problem – we've had in the past I don't think because they're going to get to the the point where these players are in, you know like you're playing these extra games make it worth it right like make and and there's all kinds of complications to that but yeah you're right at its at its core playing for something is generally enough motivation uh, for these guys so uh, it'll be good Tyler we appreciate the call uh, spitballing here on a Friday, um, love it. I, man, I am always so fascinated by this stuff. I, I, I love it. It interests me a great deal, so I appreciate everybody uh, hanging with us through that as we try and figure this thing out. Just call us. We'll get it done, uh, CFP committee or whoever it is that needs to be making these decisions. We'll, we'll just do it for you. Pro bono. Pro bono. Maybe not pro bono. We need uh, some swag or something. Like, you know, send us a, a water bottle. Or put us on the payroll. We can be consultants. I'm fine with that. I would absolutely welcome that. Yeah, we're, we, 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 would, we would do that for you. Our great gift to society. All right, we'll come back. We'll look ahead to some of the college basketball this weekend. We've done that with K-State. We'll do it with Wichita State. We'll do it with KU. We'll return on Sports Daily. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily here on a Friday, getting you ready for a big weekend out there. Um, college basketball is uh, is coming, and we talked about K-State earlier, Wyatt Thompson with us. Let's chat now about KU, because KU has got a big one. You know, KU is going to be in the NCAA tournament. There's no question about that. It's where do they land? Uh, how do they end up where can they play of course everybody wants to see them in omaha uh are they a one seed are they a two seed all of that stuff matters and quite frankly uh can they continue and try to win a big 12 championship and navigate the short bench and you know the rest kevin mcculler might need right now kansas two games behind houston with one game against houston to go they'd need a little help there they can control things against iowa state right i think well no they they just get Iowa State once this year, and they lost. So they'll need help, and they'll they'll need help twice. They'll need help from both uh, Houston and Iowa State. But the, you, you know, we know how the Big Twelve is. I guess it starts there, Tommy. As and, and then we can get into Kansas playing Texas. 
What do you think the chances are that both Houston loses two games and Iowa State loses one? Obviously, Kansas can take care of half of Houston's needs on its own, but it can't against Iowa State. So is Houston, even if KU beat, let's say KU beats Houston, is Houston going to lose then another game and Iowa State? I doubt it. That being said, though, it's not, you know, really the, the the best likelihood for Houston is tomorrow's game against Baylor, and then they also go on the road at Oklahoma. Those are probably the two toughest games remaining for Houston outside of the Kansas game, obviously, to wrap up the season. Uh, but one of those two games would probably be the only other chance that Houston would probably take a loss down the road, down the stretch. Um, but of course, like you mentioned, the Jayhawks have to take care of business at Houston in the final game of the season. That's going to be easier said than done for the Jayhawks. So I think it's a, a pretty slim chance that you're going to see Houston lose two games in Iowa State, or yeah, Iowa State lose one. You know, and the, here's the other thing too. So you only play Iowa State, they beat you. You, you need them to lose twice too. Because if you end up in a tie with mm-hmm. them, there's the one head-to-head yep. and they'd have you beat. So you need Iowa State to lose twice. Yeah, I think their, it's unlikely. Their remaining schedule is West Virginia, Oklahoma at home, at UCF, BYU at home, and K-State on the road. So it's not the most daunting remaining Big 12 schedule by any means. Um, you know, at UCF and at K-State and the rest of them are at home. The, the the chances are, uh, and, and we've talked about this for KU, so at what point do you maintain this sliver of hope to win a Big 12 regular season versus getting the appropriate rest for your, you know, thin-benched team with your most critical player nursing a knee injury? Well, that's a, I think that's a that, tough balance. I think that kind of what you're doing now, um, because I think that it is unlikely that they're able to overtake both Houston and Iowa state to win a a conference championship. But I do think that for seeding purposes in the big 12 tournament, you know, if they can solidify that number three seed and get Baylor out of the way, get Texas tech out of the way uh, who they're tied with right now, then I think that that's going to be, you know, a a good likelihood for Kansas. Uh, The good thing is that both Baylor and Texas tech, uh, those two teams play each other in the final game of the regular season. So that will help. Uh, but of course, you know, you're going to need one of those or both of those teams to drop another game. So, uh, and you're going to need to continue to win yourself. So I think that if you can solidify third place and get that number three seed in the conference tournament, that's probably going to be best case scenario because, you know, like I mentioned before, like, I think it's unlikely that they can overtake both Houston and Iowa state, but I also think it's going to be fairly unlikely that they can overtake either one of them. Do you even care about the seed in the big 12 tournament? Because at that point, if you're Kansas, you're playing everything at a neutral court, and really you have a slight home court advantage, probably, playing in the Big yeah, 12 Championship. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, it's not the end-all, be-all, most imper- important thing in the world. I mean, but, I think it means nothing. But I, I, I do As far think... as, like, importance of, like, if, look, if Kevin McCullough, the, the most important thing is Kevin McCullough being healthy. Yeah. Agree? Like, sure. period, like, for the rest of the season, that is the most critical thing that can happen for Kansas. Win-loss, whatever. They're getting into the NCAA tournament. Their seat. I mean, I, I do think playing in Omaha helps. So, I mean, you definitely want to win games to maintain the ability to do that. And I think as long as they're a two-seed, they should, right? Because they're not, they shouldn't get bumped 
by anybody in that range to playing in Omaha that would have a better case at Omaha. I don't think, I mean, Iowa state, um, where does Iowa state, let me, let me pull up, uh, Jerry Palms bracketology, uh, because I don't, I wonder if you're competing to some degree with Iowa state in your seating. So right now, Palm has Iowa state as a three and Kansas as a two, uh, Iowa state's better in the net. Kansas has the same amount of quad one wins. Uh, Kansas has a a r- pretty pretty large strength of schedule. They have the sixth. Iowa State's is not bad. It's twenty third, but I would I would guess that that's why Kansas is getting the nod there by the bracketologists over Iowa State because a lot of what they're doing is going to be similar. And Iowa State is a team that would potentially there Tommy have a claim at Omaha, right? And then, you know, as you look at the ones, UConn, Purdue, Houston, North Carolina, you know, maybe it'll it'll be interesting. I think KU's got a good chance to play in Omaha. That that I do think is important, though, as we look down the stretch here. And finishing ahead of Iowa State in the bracketology is important because they may be yeah. able to bump Kansas out of Omaha. But if you can also make a run, and I don't care what your seating is, but if you can you know, make a run in the conference tournament, you know, and go make it to the finals or even win the big 12 tournament. Then at that point, you're, you're solidifying your case to be on the one line potentially. Oh, for uh, sure. For yes, March. No so, you know, as far as, a, as importance goes, yeah, it's not the end all be all. And I don't think Kansas. And if you were to ask Bill self, honestly, I don't think he would say that the big 12 tournament is ever that important for the Jayhawks. I mean, I think maybe it gets you, some the tournament's not. Going I think the regular season. I think the regular the, well, season is absolutely it is. I mean that's why they, they won they so like many conferences. That, they like but winning as, that Big Twelve tournament. They, they, do, they do, but as far as the overall like big picture importance of it, you know, it, it goes national championship, it goes regular season conference champion, and then it goes Big Twelve tournament. Probably so. Yeah. Probably so, so, but if you are able to win the tournament or even make it to the finals of the big 12 championship, then at that point you're solidifying your case for seeding on selection Sunday. So in that regard, yeah, it would be important. It's the, the difference for this year. Cause most years it's like, you just want to see Kansas do all of it. Right. There is the act. There are two things though. I think that are in the equation that may not normally be in the equation. And that's the health of your star player. And the fact that you are so thin otherwise that if they don't have McCuller, they have no chance to win a national championship. And so, like, that also looms for this team, right? That is something to factor in and consider that we aren't accustomed to considering for Kansas because usually, like in most years, you've got one or two bench guys that can step in and help you. They don't have that this year. And and so... I, I don't know how you balance that. I mean, really, I mean, if we're being honest, it most what's most important in that is what is the actual health of Kevin McCullers knee, right? If it's fine, then none of this really matters. But if it is something that rest will help, that time off will help, I think you gotta at least consider it. And he's not gonna want to do that. It's his last year of college basketball. He doesn't want to do that. So it, that that's a tough that's a tough thing to navigate, I think, for the coaches. And probably you just trust McCullough. Uh, but you got to trust your trainers too. And you got to trust the people telling you what's going to happen. You know, to if 
if you overdo it here down the stretch. The good news is this week, they got a lot of rest, right? Uh, They haven't played since uh, February 17th. So you've had six days off. You'll have seven days off, a full week before you play Texas at home. That should help McCuller. Uh, it's not the, you know, you, you then you play, I think it's the BYU game's a Tuesday. So that's kind of normal rest. So there's not the quick turnaround again that they'll face until they get to the conference tournament. That probably helps McCuller too and probably makes the decision easier because probably you can turn him loose a little bit more. But then you're going to hit that conference tournament, and it's going to be a thing. And if he's not 100% ready to roll, it could become a big thing making it into the postseason. I am really, really interested in this game tomorrow back in Allen Fieldhouse against Texas. And I'm this Texas team, it's been weird to me all season long because I'm not sure, and this might be a really bold statement, I'm not sure that there is a team in the Big 12 on paper, on paper, that has more talent than Texas. Maybe, I mean, Kansas has Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller, so, you know, that's, that's you know, for sure there. Houston is obviously a really good collective team, but as far as individual players, on paper, there is a tremendous amount of talent on this team. Max A. Smith's transferred mm-hmm. to Texas. They've got Tyrese Hunter. They've got Dylan Mitchell. They've got Dylan Disu. They've got a ton of talent, but they have un perform this season they got blown out by 20 points against Houston last week you know and they barely beat Kansas State on Monday uh so you know there are I don't know just it's it's interesting to me and I I don't know if it's um you know just the job that Rodney Terry is doing is not living up to those expectations or really what it boils down to but looking at their roster like they've got a tremendous amount of talent on this team and they're just not I mean I know that they're kind of I think they're probably in the tournament as of right now. I don't think they're quite on the bubble uh, from what I can tell, but they're fairly close and I expected a lot more out of them. They uh, here's what I would say. I think Texas, if they get in is just the right kind of team to make a run. Uh, Palm has them on the bubble, but near the okay, top. So they are on of the, bubble. the bubble. Okay. Yeah. But, but near the top of the bubble, he has them right now as a nine seed. Um, I, so I do like Texas as a team to make a run in the tournament because you really lean into a very talented guard like Acemas at that point. However. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I think KU's in a really good spot to win big tomorrow. You've had all the time off. You get it at home. Texas has been volatile, if nothing else, this year. You know, capable of of beating West Virginia by 40, essentially, but losing to Houston by 20. Right, they looked good against Kansas State. Um, I think Kansas is in a pretty good spot. I don't know what that line is. I'm sure it will end up around probably I don't know six or seven if I had to guess. But I think Kansas is in a pretty good spot tomorrow. I, I like Kansas tomorrow. That being said, I agree with everything you said about Texas, and I do think they are 
when you get to the conference tournament, if you're looking for a dark horse Big 12 conference tournament winner, Texas would be the team. You know, because but you know, I think of that they're ju- I, I think they're just as likely, though, to get bounced in the first round. I think that it's kind of that. Well, right. right I think right, it's right. I think it's feast or famine for a team like Texas. Totally. And I, as agreed. inconsistent as they've been all season long, when they've looked good, they've looked really good. And when they've looked bad, they've looked terrible. And so it, I think it depends on what what Texas team you're going to get and who their opponent is any given game in the tournament. So I don't disagree with you that they're built to potentially make a deep run. But man, I think if they come out flat, they are a team that could get bounced in the opening round. Absolutely. That, that yeah, I say that because you'll get good odds on them. I I don't think they're going to do it, but I do think they have the components of teams like we've seen that can go in and and make noise. Athletic, great, uh, elder statesman at guard. Sound a little like you know K State last yeah. year, right? You know, it's just it, it, it's it's there. Uh, but I think KU is going to be in good shape tomorrow. All right, we'll continue as we roll forward a little on the Shockers and Temple uh, and then a look elsewhere in the sports world. Any other stories piquing our interest here uh, today? The Chiefs have a new punter. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit as we make our way through Sports Daily. All right, everybody. Welcome back into Sports Daily. Glad to be with you. Tommy, how much does it move the needle for you that the Chiefs are moving on from Tommy Townsend? Uh, they're changing punters here. Uh, it is it is an interesting time. I don't think it's a terribly, a terribly big deal. This one's headline grabbing because of who they're bringing in as much as who is headed out. Tommy Townsend will always be fondly remembered for Chiefs fans. It's sort of like when they moved on from Dustin Colquitt. I, I remember having a conversation with uh, an old co-worker about how big a deal that was. and they're trying, I was like, I don't think it's that big a deal. The Chiefs don't punt a ton anyway. Now, I don't want to downplay like the role Tommy Townsend had. He had some big plays through the postseason that had a big impact. And for a while, he was you know, one of the better punters in the league, Warren Sharp, pointed out yesterday that he had a bit of a down year last year in general. But it's more about who the Chiefs bring in, and it's the punt god you might remember, Matt Areza, who <sighs> dealt with a messy off-the-field situation. Uh, he was accused of some bad things. Those accusations and any legal proceedings were ultimately dropped. Uh, to the extent that he, he, I believe, held the door open to even counter sue if need be. So that is all behind him. At one point, he would have been likely the most highly coveted punter um, because of because of just the kind of leg he has. He led the nation in punting average, FBS record, fifty one of uh, more than fifty one yards in twenty twenty one. Had at least six punts of seventy yards. Again, I don't know how much that actually comes into play in the NFL. Uh, it's more about where you can place it on on the other side. But, look, it's as big a, a name and resume for a punter as there is. But Tommy Townsend on his way out. Uh, Areza comes in. He'll cost them far less probably than Townsend would have. I don't think it should surprise anybody. But it is a headline grabber because of who they're bringing in, Tommy. Yeah, it's one of those situations where we know about the philosophy that Brett Beach typically has when it comes to paying players. It's been discussed all the time 
uh, and it's it's very well known, very well documented. And the amount of money, more than likely, that Tommy Townsend is a punter is going to garner on the open market, uh, and just with his flair and personality and all of that. I mean, I think there are going to be a lot of teams that are going to want to jump at that and pay him. And it's going to be prohibitive, I think, for Kansas City to give him, you know, the money that he is wanting and the money that he, you know, honestly, he probably deserves because he's a he's a really good punter. Um, it, it's one of those expendable positions. And if you can bring in a guy like Matt Ariza, who is trying to rehabilitate his image and, you know, was kind of in a situation that was unfortunate for him now that he's been completely exonerated from all of that. Um, he's got a, he's got a tremendous amount of talent himself. It makes a lot of sense for Kansas city to take a, uh, take a run at this instead of having to pay all that money to Tommy Townsend. I mean, it's priorities, right? If it, if, if you can save any money at punter that helps you with your other spots of need, you do it. And so it, it didn't surprise me. I, I always thought we were going to be saying goodbye to Tommy Townsend as I saw the list of free agents because Colquitt, same thing happened with Colquitt. And I hope Townsend goes and has success and finds a spot and does all those things. But the Chiefs move on. And, and again, Tommy, the likelihood is we're not going to see a Reza very often. I don't think, you know, this may have been the season where the Chiefs were the most inclined to punt ever in the Patrick Mahomes era. Mm-hmm. And that's great. That I, I don't think that they want to continue to play that way offensively. They were forced to. They're going to do everything they can this offseason to sort of make punting a last-case scenario again uh, as they move forward because they want to be able to be aggressive and do some of the things they've always been able to do offensively that they just weren't able to do this year at that position. Uh, I mean, it's it just none of this should surprise us, but, you know, Areza, he – he is an attention grabber, but all of that situation that sort of put him in the spotlight to begin with seems to be behind him uh, and and him clear of any wrongdoing in any of it, as far as I can tell. So um, the Chiefs have a history of taking guys in who have, you know, checkered past. I don't know if it's fair to call his past checkered past because everything was dropped. Um, so I don't, I, you know, whatever. Uh, the Shockers, Tommy, we, we talked a ton about the Shockers this week. It's a game against Temple. For me, like, just do what you did against Tulsa, please. Like, just come in, gas to the pedal to the pedal to the metal, never let up, big win, wire to wire, all that stuff, and get that first back to back win since late November. Yeah, I get it, and we talked about it yesterday. That momentum is probably the most important thing right now for this program because they haven't had any of it. The entire season. I mean, I guess you could go back all the way to November where, you know, they strung together a couple of wins at the same time, but it's been few and far between. It's really that that hasn't really happened, especially in conference play. And, you know, we're not talking about a bunch of games in a row. We're talking about two. You got one now get two, uh, you know, against an opponent that beat you earlier this season. But you are, again, objectively better than so that's all in place for them. It's right should in front be. of them. They're at home. Should be should objectively be. better. Than, they, yeah. They've they just ha- they got to reach out and take it like they took it against Tulsa on Wednesday. It's it's what needs to happen. And of course, you'll hear it on KEYN. Um, if you missed it last night, you know, go check out TJ Cleland's story for us at 12 News on Mike Kennedy. It's fantastic. Really good stuff there. Uh, sat down with Mike. It was, you know, it's about the diagnosis that he that he told us about, but it's more about and ended up being just like a blast down memory lane of some of the cool moments for Mike over the years. It's really cool. Check it out, Shocker fans. I think you'll really enjoy it. 
Uh, I think I've, I shared it on my Facebook page. It's an easy way to find it. Or you can just go to 12 News. It's right there on the website. Uh, all right, we'll come back. We'll tell you everything that's coming up this weekend next on Sports Daily. Sports Daily.